audio. Is it okay? Yeah, yeah. it's good. We can hear you. Can you hear us? Yeah, we yeah. can hear you loud and clear. Perfect. Well, it is nice to have you guys on here. Um, so we'll just go ahead and start. So for beginners, if you guys don't know, this is David and Bethany. And David and Bethany, can you guys tell us a little bit about yourself, um, who you are for those of who don't know? <laughs> yeah, I, um, uh, we are church planters in New York City. I practice the law, uh, a law practice. I have a law practice. It's been a long day at the law practice. Um, and downtown Manhattan. And um, we've, we've been, in our current church, we planted uh, a little bit over two years ago. Um, our previous life before law, we were on staff at another church for about five years. And then I was on staff at a church before that for about five years as well. So a lot of church life. And then so right now we do, um, they call it bivocational, which is both church life and, and, and real life, which everything's real life. And, and as a really, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, everything is church life too, in the sense of, you know, everywhere we go and everything we do, we're trying to bring the kingdom of heaven um, to every sphere of, of influence that we touch. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the basics. Anything else? I guess we have a family, and that's part we of it, right? Yeah. We have yeah. a 12-year-old son, a nine-year-old son, and a four-year-old daughter. And I homeschool our kids as well as I work um, at our church. So uh, we have a pretty full life. Spinning a lot of plates. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love that you are homeschooling because that is a decision for us that has been really hard because we were both products of public school. We both were just from start to finish. I was in um, like preschool daycare from six weeks old on. So I was in all of that my whole life. And um, it wasn't until... I guess more so recently, maybe a year or so after we had our daughter, when we really started getting involved and seeing what's going on in the school systems. And we had to sit down and be like, as much as we would like to give them a good Christian private school education, financially, it's way more than it would be to homeschool. And homeschool is, you know, it is cost costly. It's not a cheap thing, but it definitely it outweighed going to a private school. Yeah. And so for us, like, it's been something that we've had to tell you know, my mom, who's like, why not go to school? Like, why not put them in school? And I'm like, yeah, I remember. It's weird because, you know, I'm not old by any means, but I was in kindergarten over 20 years ago. Like things have changed. And when you look at it like that, it's like, wow, a, a lot can change in a short amount of time. So I think that's awesome that you're homeschooling. Yeah, for sure. And I was a product of San Francisco Bay Area public schools, which is about as bad as it gets. Probably <laughs> close to where you guys are, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah. Well, so um, with everything that's been going on and you guys and, and obviously you're in New York, so you guys have kind of seen the extreme measures of COVID affecting everything and um, with your amazing governor. <laughs> um, how, how can we as Christians stay involved in and be aware of everything that's going on as a family? How can we explain things that are going on from a Christian point of view to our kids? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question, Taylor. It's, it's interesting because some degree we don't explain everything to our kids, right? Because there's, um, there's a protective 
layer that we need to walk in in our lives, especially when we have little kids, that things in the world are seem really big and really scary. So even the election stuff, we've had to really kind of try to guard some of our conversations around our own kids because, you know, we're talking about things like China and Biden and Trump and, you know, potential fraud and all of these, all of these different elements into about the, in the mind of a kid, it's really, really intense. You know, it's really scary. And so the first, the first step is that our kids are grounded and mom and dad are going to take care of you because God is in control, right? Like that's the, that's the primary position that we're grounding them in there. It's, they're going to be safe and they're going to be okay because we're here taking care of them and God's taking care of us all. And then after that, you get into, there's times to, to begin to communicate um, about truth in a way that they can digest dependent upon their stage of development. And um, that's going to be dependent upon child, which is what we like about homeschool. It's not like grade four, everybody's ready to take on all the issues of the day, right? Your kid may not be ready until they're developmentally at the right place and they have enough stability to deal with these issues. Our oldest is super smart. He's a cerebral kid. He can deal with a lot of stuff. Um, he knows probably more about politics than a lot of adults I know. But you know, my one under him is a little bit more sensitive. And so a lot of this stuff can be too intense for him. Um, and obviously our four-year-old has no idea. We want her to have no idea. Right? <laughs> the only thing she asks is, is coronavirus over today? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, a side note, I think that's in a credit to you as a mom who's homeschooling that you have been able to know each of your kids and how they respond to things, which I think public schools can never do because kids are on this, you know, one size fits all program. You're mm -hmm. able to say, you know, hey, my older one can handle a little bit more. My younger one, I've got to take a different step. And, you know, your youngest, you know, of course, they're at that age where you're like, it's not necessary. Whereas I feel like we're, you know, nowadays it's that that's not how it is. So I think that's a credit to you that you're able to recognize that and break that down and, and teach them what they, what they should know. Said <laughs> all of that, you also don't want to shelter your <clears throat> reality. There's like a style of parenting. That's just like, everything is great. Nothing's ever going on. That's bad, which also can insulate your kids from, I mean, if you do that and then things get rough in the world that we live in, they're going to look to you and say, why didn't you tell me uh -huh. truth? So there's a funny balance between, we've had some hard conversations with our kids. I mean, we lived down in the financial district and there was uh, crazy amounts of riots moving through our neighborhood through the summer. And you can't not talk about it when it, they get out their window. So I think that there's such a delicate balance of then having real conversations about the one King Jesus who's still seated on the throne, no matter what comes our way. And that even when, you know, we might face things that are challenging or that feel scary, then you can really talk about the reality of the kingdom of God, which is the really grounding thing of our entire world. Either we believe it or we don't. And so something we tell our kids often is that there's no safer place or better place to be than in the will of God. And if God's called us to New York city right now in the middle of coronavirus, in the middle of, everything that's going on in our world, then really this is the safest place for us. It doesn't mean it's all going to be perfect, but it would be far worse for us to be somewhere else that felt safe than it would be to be right here. And so even teaching your kids about, um, you know, so many Bible stories, if somebody was where they thought they should be like, take Jonah, for instance, 
he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He thought it was safer to peace out. And, and it wasn't for him. It was better for him to be exactly where God wanted him to be. So I think um, there's conversations on both sides and just knowing when the time is to have each conversation and yeah. staying close and knowing, you know, there's times to not talk about everything because it's better for your kids and times then to yeah. talk about stuff. So I think there's a sense of peace that kids can kind of rest in knowing like when you, when you're in the word and you're living in his word, you, you can kind of rest in that, you know, even in the most difficult times, like it's, you, you have this sense of peace that just kind of takes over when you, when you're in that. So I think that that's, um, you know, one thing to take away, especially with kids, like they, they have this sense of like ignorant bliss that they, you know, they're just, it's sometimes I look at my daughter and I'm like, man, what it would be to like, just kind of have that carefree thought. And I think that that's something kids are protected by, you know, having that element to them. Absolutely. But um, I guess, so with uh, this kind of like off the, off the cuff kind of question, um, being a homeschool mom and with being in New York, how have you been able to kind of keep a community of other kids or moms and uh, with everything locked down? What have you been able to do? Because I know like a lot of people have this stigma when you're homeschooling, like they're not around other kids or they're not doing stuff. I could see that even being more of like a like negative point that people will make, even though it's not that like, oh, well, when they're locked down, they're definitely not getting any more interaction. So you as a mom, what have you been able to do during this time to keep your kids kind of engaged and have that sense of community? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think, honestly, we've probably had more engagement with people than most of the people in New York. <laughs> <laughs> fear of everything going on that people have really isolated. Um, There's a very, I mean, it's just a very fearful environment in New York. Uh, My sister works at a small boutique and somebody came in yesterday and they said that it was the first time they'd been out since coronavirus had started. And we're talking that's back, what was that, March, beginning of April? Nine months. Nine months they have not been out of their apartment. So, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that. Like I'm such an extrovert. I'm like, I need to get out just to like, look at things. I don't even need to talk to people. I need to be like sensitized to other things. I couldn't do it. I, oh yeah. That's rough. Yeah. So obviously that's a very, that, I mean, maybe it's not a very extreme to me. That's a very extreme example, but I would say that that's more of the thermometer of New York. So I think so even people in our apartment building and where we live, people have not been out much, maybe to walk their dogs, but they're very precautionary. So um, people aren't necessarily looking for like huge social engagement other than like being outside, maybe at parks. So it's not like everyone, maybe in a different state, people are more like looking for some kind of big connection. Um, I would say it's kind of the opposite here. Uh, we're, we were previously a part of an amazing homeschool co-op here in the city and homeschooling has I would say lost some of the stigma over the years that maybe when we were growing up, it had. And there's so many people, even outside of the faith community that are homeschooling now because um, different issues such as vaccines, there's very hard vaccine laws here. And so I know that a huge, we got a huge influx of new families to our homeschool co-op the year before COVID hit, just based on those reasons alone. So. Um, there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of amazing communities that are doing things outside at parks and hiring some specialist in science to teach a K 
chemistry science experiment class. And um, there's so many ways to engage in interaction. But I also think that the one room schoolhouse approach, we so um, diminished how important it was for kids to interact with people of all different ages. So I went to an incredible, um, uh, they call it a practicum for our co-op. It's um, really amazing. And it's basically like an educational uh, three-day conference about teaching and inspiring you about educating your children. And they had, um, in one of the sessions I was in, they said, how many people here are 32 years old? And there's like a few hands. And then they were like, how many people are 41? And there was like a hand or two. And then how many people are 28? And there was and they were like, okay, I have this really brilliant idea. We're going to put all the 28-year-olds in a room together only, and they're only going to talk to the 28-year-olds for their whole lives until, you know, until they reach the age of 50. And everyone was like laughing in the room. But it's sort of a funny idea that we think that ed socializing our kids has to be with only four-year-olds if you're four. Whereas like in the school co-op that we're a part of, there's classrooms that have uh, one year, for instance, my kids were in a class that had seven to 12 year olds. It was an odd year, but it was one of our favorite years because there was such a diversity of knowledge. The kids who couldn't read out loud when they were prompted to read out loud, somebody would come and help them. And then, you know, like they had a different lens on looking at things. And so I think that there's so much more to the one schoolroom or approach of being around people of different ages. We get constant compliments from our kids every time we're at parks. Um, and out and about just at their ability to interact. Like my, my nine-year-old son will be playing with somebody's two-year-old and they'll come up to me and say, this was so amazing that your son would take time with my two-year-old. And I'm always kind of shocked because I'm like, well, isn't that how the world should work? But because people are so fixated on this idea that nine-year-olds should be with nine-year-olds and two-year-olds should be with two-year-olds, there's yeah. such a, like almost a shock that comes from the engagement between the different ages. So I have found that it's, more beneficial in a time like this to have had this previous experience even leading up to it that we're used to being together and we're all you know my kids are at all different stages and um i don't know i think it's been a really rich experience so far and that there's more that we're gaining and not more that we're losing by almost being in these family environments this year yeah i like that kind of take on it because you don't realize naturally that is kind of the mindset that a lot of people default to is oh, well, that nine-year-old's not really going to play well with my four-year-old. And, and you kind of have this sense of like protection, like, oh, come on, like get away. You don't want to bug them. And it's like, no, like they're actually probably really excited to teach because I feel like younger kids want to learn and older kids want to teach. They have that sense of, mm -hmm. I want to be independent. I want to help others. And then the younger ones are like, well, I want to learn. So I don't want to learn it from mom and dad though. Because of course, you know, we can't teach them anything. And so it, it's, I think that's a really good take on that, that I think a lot of people should really kind of resonate with is, you know, these don't, don't shy away from that. Let the kids be kids because they're naturally going to do those things. And I think that's pretty cool. I never thought about it like that. I never even thought about it like that till you said it just now, truthfully, like, because going to school with the same kids, the same age forever, and then you get out into the real world and it's, well, it wasn't even really until high school where like you possibly had the chance to have a class with somebody else, like of an older or younger grade. And even then it was only one year difference. It wasn't a bigger difference in age, you know, from seven to 12, it wasn't a bigger range, which. Well, and then once you get out of school in general, it's pretty much never going to be like that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Right. 
like your colleagues, everyone's like, you get the whole run of the, we're right? five years apart. So, I mean, we're like living testament of that. Like we, you know, that's, yeah. I never, that's just crazy. I'm, I'm baffled by that. It's a good point to have taken. <laughs> so, so what are some of your suggestions for y'all that you can suggest for people to get out in their communities and their areas to be able to build those uh, relationships with people? Um, well, it depends, depends in what context, in the homeschooling context, um, classical conversations and those kinds of things are really important to engage in. Um, and there's chapters in every major city. Or That's our homeschool area. community. It's yeah. And, and classical conversations, I believe um, the, the founder and creator actually did a interview with Ali Stuckey on one of her podcasts recently. And I was just mind blown at the, because I guess she had started doing it. And then before she knew it, she, her and her husband had started homeschooling well over 70 kids and it was all in her neighborhood or something like that. I think that's what she had broke down. And I just was like, wow. But from everything you guys have said, I mean, I love, I loved hearing about classical conversations, which is nice because you're, you're learning that there's more to homeschooling than just one set program. And I think there's a lot of programs out there that are really fantastic. And I've, I've heard great things about classical conversations. So anyway, sorry, go ahead. I think it's also, so that's in the homeschooling context. If you're a homeschooler, you should really plug in. Bethany was not homeschooling in that manner until we moved to the New York metro area. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that's when Leon essentially started. I, did, I think I did one year of school before I started yeah. that program. But. And, yeah. But other than, other than that, it's just a kind of a family dynamic, what the family's into. The boys play basketball for a while at the YMCA locally, and we're looking at some kickboxing stuff. And there's just ways for family, depending upon their family DNA and stamp, to make sure you're engaging. Um, and again, uh, just to reiterate, Bethany's better at the homeschooling side than I am, but it just makes so much sense that we would interact with people from a wide dynamic of background age it makes them actually more socially interactive and not less socially interactive which is perfectly correct right <clears throat> the standard kind of leftist line and say what is the reverse of that well that's probably actually what the truth is that you know in in the majority of cases they're better at interacting with human beings so yeah i think uh, to, um randy just 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 whatever fits the family is the best way to engage yeah i i think it's a good note because i know for us like we just moved to the town that we're in in texas and it's been hard to it's been hard to want to find com like a community at this point i'm it's almost in a bad way i feel discouraged because there's there's two different kinds of people right now there's those that are really paranoid and fearful of everything that's going on and then there's those that are like i just want to live my life and we fall under like i just want to live my life and it's hard when, when you're new places and you don't know the kind of response you're gonna get from somebody. So I think that that's just kind of something you have to just jump into well, and take that. that. Half the places you go or everywhere that you go now, you can't even see people's face. So you, can't, you don't even know what kind of reaction you're getting from them. And Yeah. yeah. Where did you guys move to in Texas? Uh, we actually live in Wichita Falls. So we're a little bit outside of Dallas. Okay, cool. Great. Yeah, we're, um, we're in a little teeny town. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, another thing, like finding, just being open to finding the, the right connections. I think in the world we live in, because of the polarization of society, 
that you can be like a, a bull in a china shop and if you know if that's you feel like your mandate is to just charge and tell everybody the truth and but there's going to be beneficial conversations with certain people because they might want to hear what you're having to say or i know with some of our neighbors there's people we probably shouldn't like go give our whole opinion to because you're like they're not gonna they're gonna think we're crazy they don't want to hear it they're in their own and then we've built relationships with some amazing neighbors through the whole last nine months that secretly are thinking the same and needed somebody to talk to and wish there would have been somebody else that thought the same. And you didn't know that that till you started to kind of, I don't know, just slowly engage in conversation. And I would feel, I feel like there's more people seeking somebody that's thinking more clear than we think. And you can kind of just assume everybody's in the same boat, but I think everybody's fatigued from the isolation and, just from the state of our world, the unrest and the uncertainty, even if, yeah. even if they don't have the same perspective on how government should be responding to these things or that people in general are fatigued in their souls of how long this has been. Like even one of our um, elderly neighbors that I ran into, he was just saying, we're just getting so tired of being in our home, doing nothing for this long. And they're probably of the category of people that should take more precautions and I can't imagine like they've spent most of the last nine months in their side their homes and um, but I feel like everywhere there's people that are looking for a connection I think people have been so isolated and I think just really being aware and seeking out who's needing that human interaction or empathy or care whether they're even on the same page I feel like we've bumped into so many people by just being like, being available and being I guess just who we are that want to talk, want to open up, want to hear a different perspective or think very similarly and haven't had anybody to talk to. So, yeah. Is, is everything in New York city still pretty much shut down? Yeah. We've got, yeah. It was re shut down about a week ago. So there uh, at the beginning of December. Yeah. A couple of weeks wow. ago. I don't think it was that far, that long ago. Yeah. So all in dining is shut down again. Wow. Wow. And then, so as a whole churches are still, are they, Closed. Well, 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 churches are allowed to be open with certain limitations. So there's there. We had a big case in the, called the Brooklyn Brooklyn Diocese versus uh, Cuomo. I think I don't remember who who the defendant was, but we were basically we were allowed to have church open, and they're not allowed to discriminate specifically. Like you can't have church closed and Target open was essentially the ruling. Um, so we're allowed to be open, and Cuomo just came out saying um that we can't keep doing this we have to open. yeah i saw that yeah which is just po po politicking frankly i mean some fishy timing there i mean isn't that what we've all been asking for for a while literally politicking so um politics are gonna politicians are gonna politic that's how it goes yeah well so david being not only just a lawyer but you're also a pastor if people didn't catch that already um what kind of hope as Christians can we give to people, not just in our communities, but via, especially right now via social media, what kind of hope can we provide for anybody that's following you, following us, or just people that are listening to this? How can they give hope so, to their there's friends? There's so much going on right now that it's yeah. kind of hard for some yeah. people to be positive, you know? It is, it's crazy. You know, it's funny because as a Christian, as Christians were called to live paradoxically, 
And by that, I mean that we, we have our feet on the ground, but where our head is really supposed to be in the clouds in the sense of that our mind rests on in the kingdom of heaven and the promises of the kingdom of heaven and an eternal life and an eternal promise by a good God that loves us because of what Jesus did for us. And so, you know, there's like, you're building the house, you're defending, you know, the, the, the foundation, you're making sure you're, you're walking in wisdom and there's hard days and dark days. But we have to have this fundamental position in rest and peace and joy uh, in relationship with God. And you can have that in Christ by recognizing that at the end of the day, we do win. Like we do win in whatever case we're in because Christ already won the battle. So uh, when, when Christians get too earthly minded, it's easy to get pessimistic fall into traps of, uh, of really sh like small-minded thinking, the immediate, they don't think about the future, they don't think about generations down the road, they stop, they stop having a heart that's trusting in God because they're so consumed with what's in front of them. And, and there's a tension because we're supposed to be caring about what's in front of us and these big issues, but we have to be tethered to an eternity in, with God and, and God as you know, the, the figure that we see in the scripture is that the one who formed the stars and holds the earth, you know, and whose waters, the waters of the seas can be held in the palm of his hand. He's that much bigger than everything. So if we can, if we can keep our heart fundamentally, when we wake up, when we get our, our, our brain on right in God's word, in his promises, and then move from there, we don't have to be bogged down. But most Christians will wake up and they're like, turn on the, the they like flip open their phone to like the chaos of the world immediately. And they're tethered to that chaos. And when that happens, then your soul is not going to have rest. It's not going to have peace. It's going to be, you know, ping ponging back and forth between frustration and depression and um, that is, those are evidences of a heart that's, that, that's not set in the kingdom of heaven. That's not to say there's not important stuff that we need to pray about and be intense about, but, you know, first and last, fundamentally, and then at the end of our day, we need to set our hearts back upon an eternal peace and an eternal um, victory in Christ. Yeah, I feel like for me, you know, if you get in the car first thing in the morning and you hear a really good song, it kind of sets the tone for the day. You're in a good mood. I feel like for me, I've learned that obviously if I, right when I wake up, if I open my phone, it does set that tone for me for the rest of the day. But if I don't, and I set time aside first thing in the morning to read my Bible or even just journal, it doesn't have to be opening up the Bible, reading a book, just being in the presence of prayer for me, I've noticed a huge change just in my mood throughout the day. I'm not super pessimistic. I'm lifted with a little bit of hope and I, I'm going to butcher it, but I read something the other day and it was like being kingdom minded will rid you of the worldly anxieties, you know, and, and it's paraphrasing to the extent of what I can't remember who posted it, but it's so true when you, when you're in the word and you're, you know, you know where you're going, it, it kind of sets you at ease. It's not going to get rid of things because we're all going to worry. We're, we're humans. We're, you know, we're sinners at heart and that's how, how we are. But I think it's pretty, um, I don't know, like, like, again, just that sense of peace of knowing. Yeah. And about first things, the scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. And that's, 
Like there is a, there is a chronological first. There is an idea that when we wake up, we go to God first and say, okay, God, you know, I don't know what's going to, I have no idea what's going to happen today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but let my heart be set in you and on you. And then, and then let's roll with the punches. And, um, and we, we have a hard time doing that. Our phones are really exciting and fun, but we need to actually discipline ourselves to do all, all, all of the good things that create good benefits in our lives are things that we primarily, uh, you know, bring in and adopt through discipline. And so it's, a, it's one of the spiritual disciplines to say, I'm going to seek you first in my life. And that doesn't have to be an hour and a half to study, but it does have to be, okay, God, you know, be with me today, speak to me today. I, one of my friends was talking about, you know, for, for most of the history of Christianity from, you know, first century until the, the 1600s, really, we didn't, all the Christians didn't have Bibles, right? It wasn't until the 1500s that Protestant Reformation came along with the Gutenberg Press and that Bible started to get printing. That means most Christians didn't have access to scripture. It was in Latin and they had to communicate to God. And so their primary life that they were living was a life of communicating to God. And a lot of cerebral Christians think that I can just like, I'll just read a quick verse, but it's really, as you mentioned, being in the presence of God, asking him to come and, and be with you. Um, and that's his desire. So I think that's really important for people to take note of. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, those are the things going on. So that's, I, I appreciate that insight. I think a lot of people just rewind 15 seconds and listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> what do you see uh, the future looking like and where do we go from here as Christian conservative, you know, as, as a family? Um. I have I have no powers of foresight. <laughs> when I when I when I do approximate um, guesses of the future, they're generally dependent upon um, my understanding of history in the past, and so I don't have a lot of hope. I don't have a lot of hope based upon historical analysis of where our our Epicurean nation is headed. But um, Independent of that, I'm, it doesn't change the position that I'm going to love God and love my family and, and, and love my kids and want to see them raise the fullness of their potential and have peace and joy in my home and stand for the things that I'm called to stand for in my hour. So um, do, do I know what's going to happen in the next chapter of America? I have guesses, but they'd be of no use to you. And, 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 and in the sense of they shouldn't really, because what are you called to do? You're called to love God. And out of that position, you're going to love, you know, your wife and your babies and, and your community and all of that to the best of your ability, whether the next, you know, 50 years brings plenty and peace or the next 50 years brings chaos. We have to be fundamentally positioned by loving God first and loving our family second. Um, but there's also practical things that we can do as believers, which are, are equip ourselves by having great uh, voices that we're listening to and not people that are conspiracy people. There's a lot of conspiracy voices that are out right now. It's oh, yeah. <laughs> and freak, freaked out. We don't need to listen to those kind of voices. Um, and, uh, and then we should, we should be equipped in our minds. We should be reading and we should be aware of history and not just, um, just simply people that are like, it's all going to be great. It's going to work out. We should be wise. Um, we need to be, you know, the scriptures says, harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. And, and wisdom 
is, is something that's developed. It's not, you don't just get it by being born. You know, you get it by reading the wise and seeing what the wise are saying. I listen to people like uh, Eric Metaxas and um, some of the older debtor guys, you know, like G.K. Chesterton and Solzhenitsyn and some of these other thinkers that have gone before us and had, have had rough times of their own. It just gives you a good orientation. It doesn't mean it's all the, all the answers are, are going to be there, but um, I think some of those things are helpful if you're oriented to that. Um, it doesn't mean everyone is, but, but I, I am. Yeah. And I, my wife is not as much. Really. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, so our job is often, I was, I tell people this frequently that our job is obedience and faithfulness always to what God's called us to do and where he's put us in life. And his job is all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can't, you know, it says man plans in his heart and the Lord ordains his steps and how much more a nation. Like we, I mean, there's only so much we can do, but I mean, if you think about family, family is the building blocks and the bedrock of society. If you break that down even further, it's the individual. So who are you in your community? How, how do you treat your neighbors? What kind of a person are you? What kind of integrity do you have? I mean, how the world becomes a different place is by each individual be, being something that's substantial and different in society. And that might seem so small, but that's why we've gotten so off is because the family and how people invest in their children has been so flushed down the toilet and it's not important because we're focused on other things. But who my son is at nine is who he's going to be partially at 18 or 25. And so it, the little things are the big things. And I think sometimes we can get so overwhelmed by the big things. Like how do you change the world? It feels like it's a hot mess and it is. But it, it starts by having really healthy families and investing in your kids and being a person in your neighborhood that's different, that's not ruled by fear, that says hello, that thanks people, that holds the door for somebody. And that all seems so menial and uh, insignificant. But when we think about the world we want to live in, how many times are we irritated that somebody didn't hold the door for us going in in front of us? And you're like, that is what makes up society is if you have unrest at the higher levels, it often is found at the lower levels too of people that are unhappy and that are displeased with life and that have no hope and no purpose. And we as Christians have all of that, regardless of what the world looks like, we can still be somebody that's affecting the world right around us. And if everybody's doing that in their sphere, we have a different world in 10 years. So I think a lot of parents, um, I can't say all parents. I, I think to a degree, many parents and and families have just kind of gotten lazy with everything being at our fingertips, you know, kids, YouTube, and in the, the sense of like, here's something, go entertain yourself. I feel like a lot of parents have kind of disconnected and, and the way to bring that back, like you said, is being involved and being a good neighbor, understanding what's going on in your home. I think those small things can change a trajectory of future generations. And all it takes is, you know, the small things, like you said. Yeah. So, um, and David, so you're a pastor and what's the name of your church for our listeners? Yeah, our church in New York City is called King's Church. Um, and that's a little K, King's Church. Um, and you can, they can check that out at kcnyc.org. Okay. And you, you go around all through New York doing church just on the streets, correct? 
Uh, or you were doing something like that. We preach on the subways. Um, uh, we've been trying to do that regularly, preaching on the subways. So is that church? I don't know if that's church or not. Certainly evangelizing is what it is. So yeah, we've, we've been trying to do that consistently. Um, we've, we've, you know, outreach to our community and gave, give out food and do all kinds of different things um, previous to the lockdown, obviously. But um, yeah, we're just rocking and rolling a local, a great lo local church here in New York City. Um, and I want more great local churches in New York City to, to be here and, and change the fabric of, of our city. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Well, I'm going to throw you a random question here to close. What are um, three books that you would suggest to our listeners that they can read this year that you think are important, aside from the Bible? <laughs> Just any books at all? Yeah, any books that you think take away a good value uh, that someone can understand, whether it be our history um, like Charles Spurgeon, you know, anything like that, that you would suggest that people can kind of take away a good piece of wisdom from. Yeah. I, my favorite, some of my favorite books, I have a, I have a, I, I have a list called the Engel Canon. Engelhardt is our last thing, the Canon of Engelhardt books. But my top, one of my top books is called Life at the Bottom by Theodore Darrell Rimple. Um, it's really about worldview and it is the, it is the best book I've ever read on worldview. Um, when I was a young um, philosophy guy, uh, it really reshaped my entire outlook on worldview. So I would say that's a really important book. Um, then there are two other books just, just to, well, th there's another book called uh, The Ten Books That Screwed Up the World. And that's by a Catholic guy named Dr. Benjamin Weicker from Texas. And he's a brilliant current um, thinker. I think that's a really important book to read. And then, um, D.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, which I'm trying to, I'm working on an, auto, uh, an audio version of that book. It's in the public domain right now. But it is really the precursor to C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Okay. Uh, and, and, and Lewis's Mere Christianity is an incredible classic. But for some brains that are maybe a little bit more story-oriented, um, Orthodoxy is, is an incredible apologetic and story about about faith uh, and, and, and not, not a narrative, a fictional narrative. It is an apologetic, but it's uh, written in a way that's really uh, beautiful and compelling. And so um, even for believers that, haven't, that don't know Chesterton, you know, he's one of the greatest Christian thinkers, you know, the last couple hundred years. He's, he's, he's been emerging more in, in co Christian conversation, of, at least that I've heard in the last 10 or 15 years. But um, he's certainly my favorite Christian thinker uh, and hilarious and deep and insightful and funny. It's, a, it's an intense book to get through, but it's worth it if you're able to, to hack it through. And that's awesome. Thank you for that. I, I'm wanting to read a lot more this year, so it's beneficial for me, but also I think a lot of people, um, people who have a lot of wisdom and understanding tend to get it from other people. It goes down the line. So I think that that's important that people can take away. And I think, especially in the times that we're in, uh, people need to read a little bit more. <laughs> um, as far as, uh, like, since we're a family-based and we homeschool as well, Bethany, do you have some suggestions for books for kids that you've found to be uh, beneficial with homeschooling or just for your kids in general? Yeah. Um, a woman... Well, I'll, I'll give my top three. One is for parents. There's a book called Teaching from Rest. 
that I try to read every year and it's such a great perspective for people who are home educating um, just to keep it in its proper place because it can be overwhelming and it can be a lot. Um, and it's such a good book. It's a short read. It's super encouraging for the heart and it really puts, um, especially somewhere like New York City where just the way people think about education here is nuts. Um, moms who have kids at seven months old in preschool interviews. I mean, it's, it's like crazy. Wow. <laughs> so um, teaching from rest, I highly recommend it. I can't remember who the author is, but uh, for anyone, for any mom that has their kids at home this year, even that are in public school that now have them, I mean, almost everyone is kind of homeschooling. So it's a yeah. really great yeah. book. To some degree, uh, they're doing something online. Yeah, it's or... a great perspective just for the process of education and what's important. And uh, it's very biblically founded and it just is such a really encouraging book for so i recommend that um another book that i've loved is sometimes i feel like the actual bible for kids is so beyond where they're at and sometimes like my boys are 12 i said in nine and there's great younger kids story bibles but i felt like there was like this cavern where i was like they're not quite ready to take on at least to glean what i want them to but we're past the jesus storybook bible and there's this amazing woman named Ann Voss, and she wrote a book um, called The Children's Bible, and it's amazing. It's been amazing for my heart, but I have loved, our kids all love listening to it. And it's the exact same Bible stories, but it's written a little bit more in a story form that's not so juvenile for like the four or five-year-olds. Um, that's been really amazing to start reading out loud, and um, it's just a wonderful story. And I really love that because it puts it in more of a conversational, like you can tell they're getting it and they're understanding the stories on their level. Um, and so that's been really fun. And then the other um, series that I love is called Story of the World. And it's a woman that wrote a book called, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on, The Well-Trained Mind. And she has an entire curriculum series that she's written. We've used a lot of it. She's brilliant. She was a doctor um, and then decided to homeschool her daughter. And um, her and her daughter both write curriculum now for their organization and they have um, a whole website, but her series, Story of the World, is fantastic. Um, history can often be so dry, especially in textbooks, and um, the whole family enjoys it. Mm -hmm. It's so well written. They have it on audiobook and it's a four-part series. That okay. um, even if you just read that and talked about it and wrote papers, and I mean, it has so much in it, but it's, again... It, it's not dry and it doesn't leave so much out that it's missing everything, but it's so well written that it's enjoyable to read. So um, I think those are my three top ones that come to mind. Those are awesome. Thank you for that. I mean, yeah. even just for us, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's awesome. But well, David, where can they find you on social media? Do you have a website? I know with social media nowadays, I don't know. <laughs> um, do you have anything yeah. where they can follow you continuously? Yeah, our, my primary platform is Instagram. So at Englehart, which is E-N-G-E-L-H-A-R-D-T underscore E-S-Q as in Esquire. So that's that's normally where it is. Or um, we have a podcast, our King's Church, New York City, and just our Sunday messages. And we are right now going through the life of the three ancient kings, Saul, Saul uh, David, and Solomon. So that'll probably take a year or two to get through those guys but that's where we're at it's been a fun series so far um and those 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 are kind of the two main places and, and bethany where can they find you you can find me at bep 
Nicole, BEP. It's my childhood nickname. <laughs> so I'm just mainly on Instagram and I don't post all the heady hey, stuff. But it's, you're a homeschool mom, so I'm sure you share every now and then great resources and that that's, does a lot. I know for me, I've been like trying to pick the brains of a lot of moms out there. So you're, you're going to help me in the long run. <laughs> so, well, thank you guys for agreeing to this and coming on our show and sitting with us tonight. I know that we both have little ones that finally went to sleep. So <laughs> yeah, I was afraid ours wasn't for a minute because we that's how it happens. They may not be actually. Sure. <laughs> They're just peeping in. <laughs> well, well thank you guys what you're doing so keep up the good work and keep keep shouting to the world we need more voices like yours Definitely. to encourage people that are out there trying to blaze through the, the craziness and um light attracts uh, other people and there were people are looking for strong clear voices and you guys both have have that so keep up the good work well thank you we appreciate, we appreciate that. that that means yeah. a lot we're we're trying to navigate it and get through it. <laughs> I feel like we're just kind of called. I mean, I was telling Randy when we first started this, I'm like, even if we only have one person whose life we changed, I'm like, that's enough for me at this yeah. point. You know, even if I'm sitting here to hear myself talk is if someone out there is hearing the message, that's all that matters to me. And or to know that they're not alone because yeah. there's yeah. other people out there, you know, with, that are going through the same thing, you know, as everyone else is and they're not yeah. alone. Yeah. And I feel like for us, it's, it's just, you know, there's tons of podcasts out there that have news. There's tons of podcasts out there, you know, like Ali Stuckey's. And I feel like for us being a husband and wife, I feel like that's so important for us to both be here together, to talk together and, and have people understand, you know, you're not alone. We're a couple, you know, we're married. We have our problems. We go through it. And I don't think that that's, said enough because I feel like some people tend to feel alone and I think you know when well, social media makes everything look perfect a lot of the times and everybody's highlight reel <laughs> they don't really realize you know the yeah, yeah the, the struggles of marriage and families and raising kids and all the, the work that goes with it and everything you have to take into consideration when raising kids and well even the the sacrifices you have to make you know not having a two to household income, you know, for, so that way we can be home or one of us at least can be home to help educate our children. Like that comes with the sacrifice that I, I, I think people think like, oh, well, you're financially this, so you could homeschool. No, we had to take a, you know, there's things that we're not able to do because this is something we feel so important. And I think enough people need to hear that. Like you can homeschool. It's not this big financial burden that you have to be rich or in a really good place to, to do it. You can, you can have four kids and have one household income and make it work. It just means you're not going to be going to, you know, get your coffee that's $6 every day or, you know, going out to eat as often as you once would. Yeah. And, and so I think that's important that people see Mom, that. They, they have eight kids that were homeschooled um, and they're, and now that all the kids are out of the house and adults and brilliant and love God and all amazingly successful in all their fields, like the sacrifice early on is worth it times a thousand. And your mom would say it over and over again. She and, would do it all never, again. Exactly. So, yeah, well, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, you're good. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you guys for being here and we'll talk with you soon. I know we'll be seeing each other on social media and, 
if we ever have another episode, which I'm sure we will, we will definitely be reaching out to you guys again because you have so much wisdom for couples like us that we just, I will, I, I could sit here and pick your brain all day. <laughs> you guys, be blessed. Have a great Texas. Is it snowing there? We heard it was snowing. Um, it's so it's a little bit here. Yeah. I think Dallas got more than we did and possibly like Austin, Houston area. Maybe. Yeah, usually the snow comes from the north and then works its way down. But this time it came from the south and worked its way up and we're up. So yeah, we're, we're we close to Oklahoma at this point. But yeah, it came like I think it was more of sleet this morning than it was for anything. us. Here, yeah. yeah. And it was gone. It's so it's so sad because, you know, our daughter's three and a half and and she doesn't understand that the snow doesn't stay. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard conversation to ration with her to be like, the snow's not going to stick. So this morning she saw, basically it was like ice. And within an hour it was gone. And she's like, wait, I wanted to go play in it. And I'm like, hey, we're in Texas. It doesn't stick for hours. Like it just doesn't do that. It's gone by noon. <laughs> so that's been a weird conversation to have to try and be like, honey, like I didn't get rid of the snow. Like it just doesn't stay. <laughs> But yeah, no, it didn't really snow. Well, blessings, guys. Good hanging with you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you guys have a good night, and we'll see you soon. Good night.